Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. All right, welcome everybody to Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for tuning in, listening to this podcast. I'm so excited. We're already in 2018, and we have two podcasts out. My goal, which I said in my uh, 2017 recap podcast, was to have a new podcast out every single week. So, you know, trying to stay on that goal. I think we're doing pretty good, though. We have some great guests lined up, and this podcast guest I have right now for you is just someone who is so inspirational, especially for those of you who have always wanted to travel. For those of you wondering what it would be like to go to Central America, to Africa, to Australia, to help out with endangered animals, or just to see animals in their wild habitats, this is the podcast for you. Her name is Amy Major. She is a great friend of mine. And once again, I hope you enjoy. I had a great time speaking with Amy. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You, um, really quick, I have to say something. Um, we all have those friends on Facebook or Instagram that, that go to these exotic places and see these great things, and you're always jealous and envious of them. And you are one of those friends. I have you on my Facebook. I look at all your stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So that's why I wanted to invite you on the podcast. That means a lot, Corbin. That really does, because I do travel, and I hope to share that excitement with people who who do share those same interests as me. So I, I really appreciate that. That means a lot. Thanks, Corbin. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So really quick, where did you grow up and what inspired you to travel and what inspired your passion for animals? Cause you're a huge animal lover. I am. And I don't know exactly what actually started it, but I just always knew that growing up we camped and we fished and we hiked and we always loved the outdoors. And, you know, my family, you know, wasn't really big into traveling Mm-hmm. But my grandparents were. So maybe I have that part of from part of my grandmother's gene is to actually travel and to explore the world. But it didn't really happen for me until later, probably in my 30s, that I really wanted to explore more of the world and saw want to see what's really out there and love and my love for animals grew. So Okay. Okay. And where was the first place that you traveled outside of the United States? Outside of the United States was actually Africa. Africa? Yeah, yeah. In uh, 2001, it just happened to be that a friend of a friend was in the Peace Corps and uh, was doing an education. Uh, She was a teacher, so she was in the Peace Corps. And my friend said, I'm going to go to Africa and visit my friend Angie. And I said, well, I've always wanted to go to Africa. She goes, well, come along. So uh, that was my first kind of opportunity. I feel that if opportunities present themselves, that if you are able to do so, that you should take those opportunities. So that's what I did. Oh my God. So first of all, so, so, so what part of Africa, cause there's very dangerous parts. Do they ship you? I yeah. mean, are you going to the Congo? Where are you going, Amy? No, <laughs> uh, Angie. Yeah. Right. I know that that happens to, yeah. You want to think about that first. Um, she actually stayed in Malawi. Okay. And so it was a very, very small country, and it sits next to Zambia. So we, um, I flew into Malawi, and then we went over actually into Zambia because they have an actual bigger wildlife uh, park. Mm-hmm. And we just did three days of safari. but So it wasn't enough safari time for me, but I also got a lot of humanitarian-type uh, stuff because you know, she's a teacher, and I got to hang out with her people in the village and 
you know, so it was, it was a different experience. Oh not my enough, gosh. Not enough animals though. I know, right? Now, was there any, okay, so what was your first thought flying into Africa to Malawi? You know, when I first, my feet first hit the ground, I was like, I, and it kind of sounds cheesy but, cheesy, but I kind of felt like my heart is here. This is sort of like a home away from home. And it just, I can't explain it. And I'm like, I am going to stay here and I'm going to come back and I have to continue to keep coming back. So what? Okay. So obviously you're listening to this podcast. So the listeners can't see, but I'm like shaking my head. giving I know, the phone I know. And I didn't even tell you that it is the weirdest thing. And I've looked at, I've actually read something like some scientific, I don't know, journal, or I mean, some, some, some article yeah. basically, excuse me. Yeah. And it said that it's like innate in us because, um, mm -hmm. you know, we evolved in Africa and it's like you, when I was in the Maasai Mara, I like yeah. my second day, I was like, I want to live here. I want to, I yeah. mean, I was like, I wanted to forget everything and yep. just, I felt home. That was, that's it, so weird. Yeah. You said that. And here you are wow. on the opposite side of the world and you were actually, you know, a minority, which is completely weird to be mm -hmm. a minority, but the people in Malawi were super, super nice. And to be able to hang out there for about two weeks and we traveled all through Malawi and went to, we went to different uh, Peace Corps houses. So I didn't spend a lot of money. But again, it was an opportunity for me to go to Africa, but I didn't see enough animals. I, you know, I, I wanted to be all day on safari all the time. And you weren't you weren't all day. You just did like a few hours because you were at the Peace yeah, Corps. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we only had three out. Uh, we only spent three days in Zambia um, oh, at that national park at that park, and then the rest of the time was just kind of traveling through Malawi, just kind of kind of meeting local people, and they don't have, you know, a lot of extra wildlife, like, you know, Tanzania and all that stuff. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, so I'm just really quick because I have to be honest with you when you emailed me, cause I asked you all the places you've been and I have a big list. I'm just, <laughs> just a little sticky note, but I've, I've heard of Malawi before, but I'm going to be honest. I, I could not until I just Googled it this morning. I could yeah. not pick it out yeah. like in a map. And I was like, wait, Malawi. Yeah. Like I, I've heard of like Lake Malawi or something, but right. right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and okay. that's where, um, like, if you were to go buy fish and get uh, cichlids, I believe. Okay, cichlids. Okay. Yeah, they are from Lake Malawi, so oh. it's the teeniest, teeniest country, right? Yeah, yeah. So not oh. there, but again, it was an opportunity for me to go and to be with somebody who you know could speak the language, and she was American, and I felt comfortable going there. Um, oh, good. I had a. I had a. I had a terrifying experience when I flew in because I've I've only been to Kenya and we you mm -hmm. have to fly into Nairobi and mm -hmm. I had to stop. I don't know why I'm, I feel like such an idiot, but apparently so I forgot to contact my bank and let them know that, oh. hey, you know, I'm traveling to Africa. Oh, yeah. So I am. <laughs> So I literally fly to Africa. I have no money. Like, so I try to go to an ATM and they stop in Nairobi, which is this crazy city and there's yep. cars everywhere and it smells like exhaust fumes and there's baboons on the side of the road. And then you have, anyway, it was just insane. So it's in the middle of the day and they like drop me off at this ATM and I walk in and there are like five guys guarding this, AT, um, this ATM with AK-47s. Yep. And they were like, it's scared. I was like, uh, like it was the most 
it was terrifying. Like, I didn't know. I was like, what, I mean, what do I do? And apparently they were, um, I, I don't know, collecting money from the ATM, but I apparently didn't get, get my money, but it was a pretty terrifying experience. Oh, I understand that completely. Uh, yeah. And I just, you just want to just die right there. You're just like, I can't believe this is happening. And you feel so vulnerable. Now you're out of the country. And what do I do? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so Malawi is, is it a, a like a pretty rural area? when yeah, you when you yeah. fly in okay okay oh yeah oh yeah pretty a, a smaller definitely a smaller smaller plane to get from i think i we flew into kenya and then kenya it was quite a jaunt to get there um you know because it's it is more remote okay okay awesome okay so you were only there for three days on safari which yeah. if you've been on safari you've said is not enough but do you have any memorable encounters you have no memorable encounters i do i do oh, oh, oh sorry i thought you just said no no, what I'm saying is, no, you have no idea what I encountered. Okay, so picture this. Okay. Okay, so the first night we stayed in a chalet, which is this, this little fancy little hut thingy. And then the second night, there's four of us, three girls and one guy. And they had two tents. So the second night, we tented at the lodge area. Okay, so the tented camp is set up. Well, they saw where we had our tents and they said, you're going to need to move those because that's the hippo trail. <laughs> and we're like, oh, that weird shaped hip thing that looks sort of like a trail, but it doesn't look like a trail because you know, their legs are little, right? And short, but then their bellies are big. So it's like plowed out. Yeah. Okay. So we move our tents, right? That night I wake up and I look over at my friend, Sarah, and she's squished up to the corner of the tent. And, I, and I'm like, okay, but I'm hearing something going on. And I look up and I'm hearing stuff dropping on our tent. Oh. So there is an elephant eating above our tent, dropping debris onto our tent oh. in the middle of the night. Well, the guards, um, you know, they, they look, they have a little tower and they're watching over and there's a spotlight. <sighs> so I can see you know, stuff wrestling and I can hear it wrestling and dropping on our tent. And finally he moved, the elephant moved on, but it was just like that. I'm like, Sarah, there's an elephant eating above our tent. And she's like, her eyes were like ginormous. And she's like, I know. And I like kind of grab her to kind of like at least scoot her away from the sides of the tent. But yeah, that's my story. Okay, my mouth, I, I, my heart is beating <laughs> listening to this story. I would be terrified. I mean, the, I, yeah, it could just go right through your tent. I mean, I just can't. No, and they said they don't bother the tents. They just see it like <sighs> it's an obstacle. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what if this foot just kind of touched the side of the tent where her head was and pinched her hair, or you know, like, <laughs> like you know, like, who's to say he would just step into part of it, you know? But anyway, oh my god! They shoot him on, so that's still. And I, of course, I couldn't go back to sleep because I was just like, it's, uh, 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 you know. Yeah, well, it, it's so funny to me because like there were guards too in the Maasai Mara, but it's like, yeah. you know, they they weighed like I mean, no offense to the Maasai, these people are in shape oh. and they they weigh like 110 pounds and they and 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 they just have like a stick and I'm like, well, <laughs> my, like my. My thigh is bigger than this man. And so I'm sitting here thinking, like, what is, what, how is he going to guard us? So the guards couldn't do anything. They just were from a tower and said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they threw some rocks at it and they moved away. And then I cut, that's kind of when I first learned about what a brow browser is. You know, the elephant's <laughs> browse. 
so they just kind of browse and eat a little bit of the tree and then they move on so they're not going to be there like all day and all night destroying the tree you know the tree has a, a mechanism that you know that it, it, to, to build in so that it can't you know eat all of the tree or it'll die right so yeah, yes anyway. what um, a great <laughs> yeah. I would be terrified. I think the only thing we had, we had little um, genets. Are, I'm sure you're familiar oh, yeah, with genets. Yeah, but those, but those were on our porch, knocking over our coffee yeah. cups and chairs oh. and stuff. Yeah, but I'd rather. They, uh, yeah, but I, I, I was terrified of the genet. Like I woke up and I was like, hello. Like I was so scared. And the people in the chalet next to us, I guess the vervet monkeys had was on their the thatched roof mm -hmm. the night before and had somehow made their way in and like tore through like all their belongings and made a whole mess of their chalet. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so, <We're okay. laughs> so really quick. I mean, cause I, I still want to talk about Malawi and um, okay. just your, I mean, no, I guess not Malawi, but you said Zimbabwe, correct? Uh, Zambia. Z Zambia, excuse me. Yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's where Zambia. we had to go to the actual uh, Park. wildlife. Okay, well, I presume I don't want to scare people away from going on an African adventure because I'm sure there's <laughs> there's camps that are more protective. It sounds like you were in the bush. Well, you know, the lodge was no. Well, the lodge is super super nice, but then the camping part of it was a little ways from, um, from the lodge, but and we weren't allowed to go between like the lodge and the tents at night. We had to be like dr driven over. And they didn't want us to get up in the middle of the night to um, go to the bathroom, you know, get out of your tent because they they see humans as a threat. It, it could be hippos because hippos did do come out at night, which you know a lot about hippos and how dangerous they are and stuff. So, you know, so actually when the elephant was eating above our tree, I was actually very relieved that it wasn't hippos coming up mm -hmm. from the river. I was actually very relieved. I'm like, okay, just an elephant, just going to move on. Okay. Actually, I completely agree with you. I, I, a hippo would have been way worse. I mean, that would have just been, and you know, what's weird. And I talked about this in my other podcasts with Val Hershey and she went to like Lake Navasha to do studies, oh, but yeah. hippos are so silent. Like at night when you hear them walk, yeah. you can't oh, yeah. hear it. Oh, yeah. weird. So weird. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Even and how groups of elephants can be so silent and move oh. around. And it's just, they're just absolutely remarkable. Wow. Okay. Any other, I mean, that's, that's a crazy experience. Any other, in, any other moments that kind of stand out from that three day safari trip? Um, probably just, I think just mostly that. And then just trying to get there because, um, Angie being in the Peace Corps, she didn't have a lot of money and we were trying to save money. And so we like, she wanted us to hitchhike from Malawi to go into Zambia to go, on safari so those were some of the things that <laughs> you don't normally do but because she knows the language she had to get around so we we, we got into like five or six different pickup trucks and it took <laughs> like over 12 hours to get to the safari site and i don't know how much in real time that was and the, the last guy had to stop at the bar um to have a couple drinks so we all had to wait in the back of the car while he ran errands and I'm i didn't go to the bar to say hi to some friends so we just had to wait because he was our ride into to the safari so god that is such <laughs> a cool experience like that's something yeah. that you'll never forget and that, that was 2001 you said so yeah, did you take a lot of pictures 
Did you take a lot of pictures? Yeah. Or, okay, that's, okay, that's when the digital camera just came out. Ooh. So I had this horrible digital camera that had like horrible zoom, but it was digital. So <laughs> it's cool. So I don't have like the best pictures, but at least they were digital. And the, the African kids from the village were very excited to be able to see me take a picture and then to show them. Mm. So they- That's that, awesome. That was cool. I found, cause um, just going to Navasha and going to the villages, they loved when you would take pictures of them and then like, you know yeah. what I mean? They loved to touch it. That's just, yeah. Cause it, that's so foreign yeah. to them. Yes, exactly. And children are just so great that, you know, that you just mm -hmm. can't help but That's awesome. With them, you know. Okay, so you are just basically hopping around, hitchhiking through Malawi. This is an insane experience. How did you guys feed yourselves? How did you, I mean, did you? Um, well, once we got to the Peace Corps, well, we, okay, so that was some of the other weird things. So we could go to the market and get things. But again, the, the grocery store, you know, you got the, the guys with the big rifles. They, I don't know what they were, but, you know, they're all guarded at the, you're at the grocery store the, with rifles and we went to markets and we bought a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables um <laughs> lucky me both of both of my travel buddies were vegetarians so we ate a lot of beans and rice <laughs> which is fine because you know the meat in africa is not normal i so, wouldn't I, I wouldn't touch i mean actually i shouldn't say i wouldn't touch it that's just I mean, they're, they have, I'm sure they have some great meat there, but some. Yeah, but it's different, more. right? It's, it's different. So beans and rice, and we made mm. uh, guacamole, and we had just Ooh. the greatest, freshest vegetables and fruit. So we, we were able to cook once we got to the um, Peace Corps houses that we stayed in. Mm. So, and then we stayed a, a week at Angie's house at her village. So we were able to go to the market and, you know, have make our own food. Wow. What an amazing experience. Okay. So you have a very awesome, I would say a very authentic African trip. Like I couldn't imagine anyone doing that now. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Very, very different. Okay. So you finish your trip in Malawi. Where do you head next? Where are you destined to go to next? Costa Rica. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we went to Costa Rica and I absolutely loved it. Of course we had to do all the nature hikes and adventure hikes and we we drove all over, all over to the one side of the coast, all the way back. We went white water rafting. We went snorkeling. Oh we God. were in the jungle with howler monkeys. Oh my gosh. On top of us howling. And it was eerie because we were like the only ones on the trail. We're like, what are they doing? <laughs> <hunting> us. <laughs> so, and then capuchins, the capuchins would drop down and try to get into your your bag your message like i had a messenger bag and so uh um, mark had a really great picture of me like kind of i didn't want to scare her because i knew this male was sitting close i didn't want him to attack me so i just kind of walked <laughs> up and just kind of but i'm like you don't need any chapstick or sunscreen anyways so or gum <laughs> so i just kind of like got up but yeah capuchins and sloths you saw sloths well, we saw we saw sloths when we were ziplining so oh my gosh we're up in the canopy and then the guide would go oh look there's a sloth over there and so there, we're like you know kind of eye level and so we got some great pictures of sloths and no. um how close are you yeah. to a sloth i mean is he like pointing like is he like really close 
No, well, I mean, he's like a tree over, you know, 20, 30 yards. So it's not like we were in the same tree or the same platform, uh -huh. but it was across the way that I could still get, you know, I could see it and identify it and take pictures. Oh and my gosh. Okay. I'm a huge sloth oh. nerd. If you follow me on social media, you know, I'm obsessed with sloths. Yeah. But yeah, so, well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to tell you, well, since you are, we went to the sloth uh, sanctuary. There's a sloth oh. sanctuary in Kawita, and uh, those ladies have been taking care of sloth for uh, forever, since forever. And so we got to go and see some some of the sloths that they have rehabilitated and or rehabilitating, or some that they just can't release back into the wild because, like, their arms have been uh, or their hand have been maybe removed from, you know, they'll use power lines. Oh, okay. Okay. So they've, they've gotten injured and they've had to like amputate off their legs. So obviously they can't put them back in the wild, but um, yeah, they have this really great animal sanctuary there that you can go and see some of the babies and talk to her. And so Oh my God. And I'm sure that's the same one. If you go on Facebook, you have like these viral videos of like just the baby sloths. I'm yeah, sure it's something probably. like that. Yeah. yeah. There's the one famous, Sloth there. I think she's a three-toed that's uh buttercup was her name. And she's okay. She's really, really, really old and she's like their first sloth. So she sits kind of in the guest area so everyone can come in and see her. Oh wow. Yeah, and this is great. this is my big sloth nerd coming out. But did you see just three-toed sloths or did you see no, two-toed two. and three-toed? Yeah, yeah. We saw oh, them okay. in the at her sanctuary and in the wild as well. So we, I, we saw, they're just, they're just like everywhere. Wow. And it's yeah. weird. So they're, so they're in the same area. And this is so yeah. fascinating to me, yeah. just like, cause in captivity, three toads have never been able to be kept alive in captivity. Two toads are the only ones. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yep. Why do you think that is? I'm just out of curiosity. I don't know if it's, if it's just what they eat, what they're digested, you know, you know, just how some things like great white sharks, they can't keep it captivity and they still have to figure out mm -hmm. why that is there's just something in nature that just they need that maybe we don't know or understand yeah yeah they're just very well, and, and yeah just sen sensitive animals okay so yeah. you went to a sloth rescue and rehabilitation place i'm writing down actually right now on my notepad like places to go like i am yes. and, and like, you know everyone like in costa rica i always say you know, everyone wants to go to Hawaii and Hawaii. Hawaii is great because they do speak English, but I mean, Costa Rica, they, a lot of people do speak English, but you know, Spanish is, you know, it's the people are great. And the experiences that you get from there are just priceless, especially if you love nature. Okay. Yeah, you got to go there. Okay. And it was just rated in National Geographic. I'm a huge fan. One of the happiest places to live in the world. Yes. Isn't that crazy? I believe it. Okay. I, I, would, I would say yes to that for sure. Okay. Okay. And really quick, how, I mean, just cause if I'm a listener right now and I'm actually, I'm thinking, I'm thinking in my own mind, how much did this cost? If I could ask, like, can you give us a rough estimate? Was Costa Rica fairly inexpensive compared yes. to maybe a trip to Hawaii? Okay. So tell us about that. I, yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe the I mean, I would say the airline flights are going to be about the same price. There's all kinds of different, once you get to Costa Rica, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different bed and breakfasts, 
to, and there's different regions and it's very, very cost effective. I mean, I would say maybe, you know, we spent maybe $2,500 a piece. Okay. And we okay. were there for a good two weeks. So it's wow. very, very cost effective, great food, great people. You can get around. I mean, yes, you, if you do drive, you need to know the laws of, you know, people honk a lot. And <laughs> like, why are people honking at me? know the rules of the road and and everyone drives crazy and but you know i've also been to costa rica with my college group um back in i think 2011 my the college group of us all went and so we just did like a big you know a big group travel and we just traveled through and saw some of the same things but like half the same things but then half not the same things. so it was it was a good varied so okay. Know. Okay. And now, so did you have to hire a travel agent or did you have to figure out which tours you would go to? Like if I land in Costa Rica, how do I end up going to the, to the sloth sanctuary? <laughs> like, I'm, like, I'm a big fan is, um, I like, I think is it, well, there's, there's, there's travel guides, right? So there's travel mm -hmm. books, I think from Fromers. Okay. And then, oh, there's another one, something planet, I think. Oh, I can't remember what it is. But I love those, and I have two different travel books, and in the back that tells you, you know, good places to go. You can kind of map out regions and figure out, okay, if I'm a surfer, I'm going to probably go this way. If I'm a whitewater person and I want to try to whitewater out, I want to do zip lining, I want to see more capuchins, I want to see more howler monkeys, I'm going to go this direction. And, and so we just, my husband and I just kind of, put our plan together that way. And then we just booked stuff online by ourselves. Yeah. So. Wow. Okay. So I have to be honest with you. I'm definitely going to go to Costa Rica sometime, but if I go and this is like such a, such a, I'm going to say just like a shot in hell, but I would love to see a wild Jaguar. I mean, was that something that you were like, did you see oh, one? Yes. And what? No, 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 no. Sorry. Sorry. No, 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 no. If you, we didn't get to see a Jaguar, but yes, I would love to see a Jaguar, but you have to go to this other peninsula area where they're more prevalent. You okay. need to know that going in that your chances, you know, I need to go to this area to, in order to see those. And we weren't quite in that area. It's a little okay. bit down towards Panama. Okay. And so have you, have you ever met anybody who's actually seen a wild Jaguar no. or talk to any of the locals? No. Really? No, no, it was nothing really that I that I can remember a conversation bringing up, asking people about jaguars, because again we weren't in that area, so I just it didn't even really occur to me. Oh my god! Okay, well I'm I'm just gonna put it out there in the universe. I'd love to see a jaguar. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, so do you have any other amazing wildlife encounters in Costa Rica? You saw sloths, capuchins, howler monkeys. How are the insects? Oh yeah, <laughs> my favorite. So the, um, <laughs> get, okay, okay. There's two. There's two horrible things. Well, actually, okay. Um, we stayed at this really, really cool bed and breakfast. Oh, I can't remember the name of it of this of this little town, and the the place was great. And the first time we walked into the room, there was this beetle 
I don't spider looking beetle <laughs> crunchy thing on our fan. As soon as you walked into the room, it, I'm, I'm going to say it was like the size of my hand. Oh my god! It was like a moth, but it wasn't a moth. It was like a hard shell beetle thing. I have no idea. I just walked in. And I was like, okay, that has to please, please <laughs> do something with that because I can't deal with this. Deal with this. And so then um, the neighbor guy and his wife, there was there were neighbors adjacent to us, him and my ex-husband, they're picking at it and trying to get it out. And they're taking pictures and think it's all cool. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> get this. I was, at least the beds had the mosquito nets because this region we were in, uh, just possible malaria issues. So we did take anti-malarials. And then the beds had the netting over it. So I was like, okay, at least my bed has a netting and I'll be like protected in this <laughs> netting in case our little friend decides to come back in the middle of the night and get me. Oh so. my God, that's so funny. So my fiance really wants to go to Costa Rica or actually she wants to go to Ecuador, but she's oh. terrified, terrified yeah. of insects. And so is there anything like, I mean, it's just something you have to deal with if you're going yes. in the tropics. Okay. Yes. yes unfortunately and then there was times on our walks where we have this i have this picture of these ginormous i don't know if, if they're millipedes but they're like a foot and a half long things. <laughs> and i there were two of so them together cool. so I, i'm assuming they were mating but I, I was we took pictures but i i just it just grossed me out i just but the ants were cool and the frogs were awesome oh my gosh you never not getting up a little little poison dart frogs you know you saw them around a lot and then the little ants that carry the leaves you know and they make their little yeah yeah, yeah. you know you can see them there's a long line oh of, of course like that that yeah that's like the lead national geographic shot of the yeah. ant carrying the giant so you actually yeah. saw them so you see those and you're like okay i can't step on you like step over the whole little line of them as they're you know going oh. to the nest with all those leaves. Wow. And it did, did, I mean, I, is this a stupid question, but did it rain a lot while you were in Costa Rica? You know, um, a little bit. I'm trying to think of the first time we went, I think was more in October and that was more of the rainy cloudy season. And then the mm -hmm. trip that I did with my college group, I think was May or June. So it was a little drier then. So you just have to pick the, you know, the, the the better times to go when it, there is more rain or less rain okay okay i'm gonna put you in a very hard place right now you ready uh -oh. no it's fine and i i love like comparing things for some reason it's weird okay so if you had to choose costa rica or a trip to africa which would you choose a rainforest or, or an african savanna type is it too hard uh, no it's it, to me that's very easy i mean africa 100 okay. yeah yeah okay but again okay. they're different you prepare more for Africa. You need a little bit more money for Africa. There's, you know, there's a lot more travel time involved. But if you just wanted to spend, you know, a couple few thousand dollars and experience, you know, a rainforest setting and, you know, Costa Rica is definitely safe and easy and accessible. So. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like I'm like reliving this with you. I'm serious. I can't wait to look <laughs> oh, at the good. photos. I'm glad I'm not boring you.
No, not at all. I'm sorry. I'm asking so many questions. We're no, almost like almost an hour. And that is your job. <laughs> right? Well, yes. until I get paid, I just have to get a sponsor for the podcast. Perfect. So if you're, yeah, right. Uh, okay. Awesome. So after Costa Rica, you've done, uh, you know, where did your adventures take you next around the world? Okay. Well, you're going to love this one. I think I know it. I think, you know, uh, Australia. Woo! So, um, and honestly, you're going to think this is so cheesy or people who are listening will think it's cheesy, but I actually got more and more in love with animals once like animal planet started you mm -hmm. know, their own show and there was a channel for the animal planet. And that's when I first encountered Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. And I just, I just watched his shows. I watched a lot of animal planet and it just, it just built and built and built and built. And I was like, I need, I, I, I need to go explore and I need to see these animals and I want to go to Australia. And the odd thing about that was, is one week, I'm not joking, one week before Steve Irwin passed away, I had said to my ex-husband, I had said, I want to go to Af uh, Australia. I want to meet Steve Irwin. I want to go to the Crocosium and I want to go there. And I, wow, well, cool would that be, you know? And then a week later, he's killed. Oh. And I was devastated. And it it really hit me hard, especially for someone that I've never met. Mm -hmm. But you felt like you knew them because you watched him and Terry and Bindi. And he brought this whole new world and, and animals to life and passion. And it just crushed me that he was killed. It was, it was one, cause he was such a legend. There'll be no one else ever, ever like him. Um, yeah. it was one of those things, like almost like when, like my mom tells me when Elvis died, like I remember the exact place. Like I remember where I yeah. was the time when, you know, the news broke that he died. It was just devastating. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. And so about six months after that, I, I went on to their Australia zoo, uh, you know, Googled and went on to their website and they had said they had mentioned they were having a Steve Irwin day in the first, you know, for uh, in November and they were going to have a big party and all this stuff. And it was probably maybe in August that I decided, you know, I should go. I really should plan a trip and go. But I nobody else wanted to go with me. So or had the means or the funds mm -hmm. or work, you know, so I was like, well, if I'm going to go by myself, Australia is pretty safe. They speak English. The currency can't be that difficult. I just need yeah. to figure out a route and how to get there, where to stay. And so oddly enough, the uh, they actually have uh, a travel agency within their zoo, which is weird, but it was so big that at that time. So I kind of went through their travel agency to set up day excursions and where to go um, i paid extra to do some behind the scenes stuff and and then was there for steve Irwin day we had a big celebration and wow and and that that was the year because he passed in 2006 and so you yeah. waited until the following so 2007 yeah. okay okay so tell me what is your experience because i would the australia zoo is on the bucket list 
you know, I was a huge fan of, you know, the Croc Hunter Diaries. And so yep. what is your first impression of the zoo? Is it, you know, does it look like what it looked like on the Animal Planet series? Was it smaller, bigger? Like how did, how did it compare to your expectations? I, it definitely exceeded my expectations. It's definitely larger. The crocosseum is enormous. Um, to be able to see them work with the crocodiles and how they get them to, to just go through that channel and come up into the main pond um, in front of an audience is just the power of those animals. And, you know, and Terry doesn't always, or Bindi, they didn't, uh, Bindi was very little still um, when I was mm -hmm. there in 2007, so she wasn't feeding crocs but Terry didn't feed the Crocs at every show all the time. She had other people do that, but because, well, I went there three times. Okay. During my stay, cause I couldn't stay away. But the, the Steve Irwin day, she actually did the Croc feeding on that day. Oh, wow. Olivia uh, Newton-John performed and Bindi and her little, you know, she was little. So she had, uh, I guess they were called Croc men and they danced behind her, you know, and she did her little <laughs> show and yeah. So it, it, but they have birds and kangaroos and wallabies and wombats are amazingly adorable. So it just, and as soon as you, as soon as you look and you pull up to the zoo, there's just all this beautiful murals of just Steve pictures of Steve Irwin and pictures. And you're just like, I cried like the first day I was there. I just mm. like cried the whole time I was at the zoo. I just had tears just because it was just unbelievable that I was there. You know? mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that was his baby, his yeah. parents' baby. Like how crazy, like you just, Oh my God, that would be very surreal for me too. Yeah. It was very, the very first day was emotional. And then the second day, is when I had it set up to do a lot of the VIP and behind the scene tours, like a cheetah walk, like you got there before the zoo. So you got to walk with the keepers and they do cheetah walks before the zoo opens. And so we had the two keepers and she was, the cheetah was chained and we walked and she went wherever she wanted to go. We went into the um, gift shop with her. She wanted to walk through there. And, and then as soon as she laid down then I was able to go around to the back and like, I could pet like her back. Um, and then of course, everywhere we went and everything, every animal encounter that I did, there was always a, a photographer there. So everything was captured. And then they gave me this booklet of, of they printed out a whole bunch of pictures for me as well as a disc. So it was, it was perfect. I didn't have to worry about taking selfies, you know? <laughs> God, how nice. I mean, they just yeah. take that, make, they just make yeah. it easy. I do know though, cause I, I mean, I don't want people to think it's as cheap as Costa Rica. Cause I've looked into the, like going to the zoo and the behind the scenes tours and I'm like, woo. <laughs> it, I mean, I, it's, it was, it was up there. Yeah. And you know, I figured price wise, I'm already spending this money and, mm -hmm. and, and the money that I did spend to go to behind the scenes, like when I picked to do the cheetah walk, that money, but I can't remember the percent went to Lori Marker's cheetah fund in Africa. Oh, so it, went, okay. it, it did, you know, it would, my money wasn't just going to the zoo necessarily. It was also help funding other places. So I felt I'm over here. I might as well just go big. Yeah. Go big or go home, go home. So I'm like, I'm staying in these little 
rinkety dinky places, but I got VIP tour at the zoo. So <laughs> I would take a rinkety place. You know, I would yeah. take, yeah, I would yep. rather have the VIP tour. So yep. were you able to do, and I've seen this on their site, were you able to do the, the uh, Komodo dragon behind the scenes or was that after? Yeah, I think that was after. Yeah, the lemurs weren't there yet. They were still working on lemur island. Um, I did, I, you know, they, uh, I think there was a kookaburra that I got a picture with. Koala bear, of course, which Wars. are adorable. Um, the a wombat, I got a picture taken with wombat, oh. the Asian elephants that were there. Okay. Yeah, I got to meet them. And, and then, of course, I think it was, don't kill me. It was a snake and I loved it, but I can't remember. <laughs> Get off was. the podcast, Amy. I can't believe you. <laughs> it was enormous and I'm holding it and I'm loving it because it's so cool. And there's <sighs> such amazing animals. So I got a picture with that and, and wow. another little blue tongue lizard of some blue sort. tongue skink, so, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, see all kinds of cool stuff. And the exhibits, were they just beautiful and naturalistic, like everything you'd imagine? Oh, great. Yep. Yep. And it was really cool because you because they have uh, like breeding pairs of crocodiles and they would have like their names written on um, the signs and everything. The signage was very um, helpful. And, and the really cool thing, and I, if you remember on some of his programs, you know, he's always jumping fences because there's no gates. Everything... <laughs> because somebody could leave a gate open or a gate unlocked. So in order to get into the exhibit, you got to climb over the fence. So, um, yeah, that was kind of funny. I think that you find that there were really no gates <laughs> the crocodile area, you know, and then the otters. Oh, then they have oh, yeah. these little otters and the one guy zookeeper that I met, he said, you would think, or if somebody would ask you, what is the animal that you are most people are most bitten by here at the zoo? They're going to say the Asian clawed otters fight the, <laughs> the most. These crocodiles, they don't have it, you know, snakes or skinks. No, it's the otters. Get, <laughs> people get bitten all the time. It's like, oh my gosh. That's so funny. And it's so, it's so unassuming because they have those cute little faces. Oh, I know. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of a funny little inside information that that they gave to me that's awesome that's awesome so would you ever go back to the australia zoo australia is that something on the list yes but africa always comes first so but yes of course i would love to go back to australia there's so much that i didn't get to see um there's just it's such a vast country and there's so much wildlife there's just uh, yeah, I just, it, you could just travel just like Africa. You just travel and travel and travel and travel. And you just have to pick off things that are most important to you. Okay. And so that would be, is there any other advice for someone? Cause if you ask a lot of people, they're going to say like, where would you want to go? And a lot of people in the States would say Australia, any other advice you'd, you would give them if you're planning a trip? Oh, I would definitely say Australia. Um, uh -huh. It's very easy to get, I mean, it's a long flight, but it's very easy. I, yeah, I, I don't know what advice just, it's very, it, the people are amazingly nice. They're so okay. grateful and funny and um, helpful. And I just, I really had the best time there. They're really, really great people. 
That's awesome. Awesome. And did you try? It's like this, this like, oh, what is it? They like spread it on. Um, no. <laughs> what is it called? We're talking about Vegemite and no. Vegemite. But they put beets on everything. Like I beets? Beets. Like beets. Beets. B-E-E-T-A-S, like the purple beet. Yeah. Oh. They put that like on hamburgers, which oh. I think is weird. So I like order this hamburger and I'm like, oh, what is this? Okay, so they're just oh little, little things that food is a little bit different. Different, um, and I, I forgot to ask about that. Yeah, I mean, did you, like, I'm sorry, I have a friend on Facebook who was just in Tasmania, and she, oh. was eating, she was eating wallaby stew. Oh, no. So, like, did you go to a restaurant, and did they have, like, you know, hey, we have the boneless wings, we have kangaroo tail, and then we have, you know, joey bites. Like, how, like? I'm like... Pizza, French fries, um, okay. a hamburger, uh, you know, just easy little things. And it was nice because, you know, like I said, I was by myself. So if I got a pizza and, and in my hotel I had a fridge, I could just eat pizza for three days, you know. Oh, good, good. And how was the pizza? Things. I'm not, I, I can't do fancy and I can't do weird. <laughs> so. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, I, I can, can uh, you do seafood? No. Oh, I can't either. Oh, good. And when I I had gone on a trip to Spain with just a couple of my friends for one week, um, yeah, I ate French fries and bread. (laughs) I didn't like seafood. They had a lot of fish and trout and, you know, I ate French fries and wine. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I could go for French fries and wine any day. And bread, those are like my three favorite things, wine, French fries, and bread. Well, then go to Spain because that's exactly (laughs) – what's available to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I'm okay. I cannot wait to talk about this. You go back to Africa mm-hmm. and is this when you go to the Serengeti? Am I correct? Yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. I want to hear everything. I mean, this is like a dream trip, the Serengeti. <sighs> yes. So we hired, um, a travel agency to go, uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head and go to Africa, I believe is the, is the agency. They're actually stationed in Cape town. So they put together a trip. You know, we said we had uh, my best friend, Caroline and I, I said, okay, we have like 14 days. Here's some things we want. We were thinking about what do you suggest? And so from that, she just, they did all of our booking for us, our hotel, our trip. So, so of course we paid a lot because we were tourists, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we had can I ask how much? Like how much would it cost? I mean, can I ask like for a Serengeti trip? Well, well, we were there I think twelve days, and we traveled all over Tanzania and spent mm-hmm. a few days actually in Zanzibar, and we stayed at really nice places. So, um, like fourteen, fifteen grand. Wow, Amy. Oh my goodness. You hit the jackpot. Are you? <laughs> I know. My, and I'm very blessed because my, my yes. folks had given me some Christmas money and I had some bonus money saved. And so it just, it was just something, a big thing that I think just needed to happen, I guess. And, and I'm grateful that my friend Caroline was able to, to go along as well and have the funds and the time off. So Wow. 
And for those of you listening, I'm going to give you Amy's personal Facebook because we all want to be your friend, Amy. You invite oh, me. <laughs> you're so thoughtful and so kind. Okay. So tell me about the Serengeti. I mean, just, oh, my, I just, what was that like? It, okay. So it was really weird because our guide, so our guide, it's a safari vehicle. It's a Land Rover, of course. And it's all glass around. And then the top can lift up when we're on safari so you can stand up and see out mm -hmm. or it pops down and it's closed but you can still see out the window and as you drive through the serengeti it's just miles and miles i mean the main road through the serengeti is a dirt road that the locals use so okay the main thorough through to get i don't know where they're going if they're headed up to kenya or around somewhere else but mm -hmm. you know it's the main road and we're traveling to go to our lodge. And I think it was like a five hour drive because we has to also had to go around the Nagorgor crater and up and around and then through the Serengeti. And our guide said, normally there's probably a couple million wildebeest and zebra all out oh, on these plains, but, it, but they, had, they had migrated. Okay, and they're migrating north to the Masai Mara. Yeah, so they were almost probably there by the time we decided to do our safari trip. But there were still stragglers. There's still okay. food for, you know, you know, an abundance amount of animals. So they're still there. But I can't imagine looking out on both left and right of the, of the vehicle, millions. I, I, it blows me away. Wow. And so did now was that something that you factored in? So I'm assuming what so what time of year did you go in like the summerish or Septemberish, yeah, fallish? Well, actually, well, I knew that I didn't want to go when it was really hot. I don't really like to be hot and dirty and sweaty. And uh -huh. you know, I, so we kind of went towards the beginning of the rainy season. So okay, it was, it was perfect. It was like 60s or 70s, kind of cloudy. Um, a little bit of drizzle, a little bit of rain. So it was just, you know, it was just, it was just great. Yeah. Um, great weather. And the animals, you know, even if it did rain a little bit, it was like, it refreshed them and it revived the dryness of the earth and it, it felt good. And it was like, they felt good too. You know, it was just kind of cool to see. Oh my goodness. Okay. So did you see any large predators? Did you see lions? Lots and lots of lions, actually, which which I forgot to mention on my first trip to Africa. The main reason why I wanted to go to Africa was to see lions. So on my first trip, I didn't get to see any lions. What? No, I know. We were out on safari and the lions were coming through the lodge area. And so everybody at the lodge had to be inside. So we're on the safari looking for them and they're coming through the lodge. And then by the time we get back, they're gone and they moved on and then we didn't see it for two days. And I was just heartbroken. It's Africa. It's like, you have I to know, see lions. But we heard what, what was really cool. We did hear them in the evening and in the mornings roar. So we knew where they were, we knew they were out there, but they were just elusive. So it's kind of frustrating. So this Africa trip, I mean, we're going through the Serengeti and we're driving all the way through the Serengeti. But once we get to our, main lodge then from there we took like an afternoon so actual safari where you're driving slower they have the tops up 
so you can stand. We're doing, we're cutting through different parts of the Serengeti um, to see different things. We're kind of off the, the main thorough through, but as, but like I said, as you're, you're just driving, you're going to run into, you're going to see stuff. So sometimes we would pull over and, you know, see this giraffe, you know, or an elephant, let's stop and watch them for a little bit, but we're just actually trying to get to our lodge. Oh man. So clients. And then the other thing that I know that you didn't get to see and you would love to see <sighs> leopard. Oh, you saw leopard? Yeah, we saw three oh, of leopards. We saw two together. One was up in a tree and one was down below on uh, this like log. And then the next day there was another leopard up in a tree. And I don't know if it was the same. Leopards are kind of within the same area, but. You're so lucky, but did you go there wanting to see leopards or is it just one of those animals? Like if you see it, great. If not, that's fine. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, I mean, I'm, well, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely wanted to see leopard, but I know that a lot of times they're more elusive and harder to to find. So mm. I didn't have any preconceived notions. But you saw a cheetah. I did not see cheetah. And so I am bummed that I didn't get to see cheetah. I would trade so all I'm of my... <laughs> I've, I've seen cheetah several times in the mar, and I've also seen them with five cubs. And we actually, I've seen them twice. We actually ran into, okay, now, okay, Amy, can I brag? I have to just brag. Come on, just once, once, once. Okay. We were driving. We weren't even like looking for wildlife. We were just looking for vultures because I was there with the Peregrine Fund helping Dr. Munir Varani catch vultures. And so we were looking for vultures and we were looking for dead wildebeest. And we're driving along and the f so really quick just to backtrack the first experience with the cheetah and her five cubs in the Masai Mara it was almost too intense for me there were so many vehicles there were probably like 10 15 vehicles they were all like kind of circling around it just there were so many people it just it kind of took the whole wild out of it but but the next day when we ran into them, just not even looking for Cheetah, and we ran into her, just they just literally crossed the road right in front of us. The Cubs. And I it was Yeah, it was just yeah, Cheetah. But I would trade a few of those Cheetah sightings for a leopard, I think. I'll trade you trade you three leopards for one <laughs> cheetah. <laughs> and it's so funny because Cheetah weren't even like it's just like maybe you with the leopard, like yeah. Of, of course, I, of course I'd want to see cheetah, but it wasn't like I'm going to Africa to see cheetah. I went to Africa just to see a leopard. And I, I think I concentrated on like on it too hard. Like, I think I just focused too much and I need to just should have just released my mind. And now I'm sounding all like, I don't know. No, 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 no. I no, I and the one time that we did see a vehicle stopped and our guide had asked what they were looking at. And he said, Oh yeah, a cheetah had just come through and it was moving away in the distance. But there's really nothing you can do because they don't want you driving off road and we're not gonna go chase her. We don't know for sure which direction, you know, she's going or he's going. But it was like this close. I'm like, what there was a cheetah right there. Oh you you have to go. And I was going to ask you that too, because um, I asked, so basically for those of you listening and wondering kind of where we're talking about, so the Serengeti ecosystem, you have the Serengeti in Tanzania, and then you have the Northern Serengeti ecosystem, which is the Maasai Mara in Kenya. And I would suggest the Maasai Mara, because it's a lot smaller than, than the Serengeti in Tanzania, I would yeah. go there. It's concentrated, Amy. It is like, yeah. 
My question is because I asked a guy in the Maasai Mara how, how the Serengeti was. And he said, well, the Serengeti is beautiful, but a lot of the animals are far away. You can't really yeah. off-road. Okay. And that was your experience. Yeah, it, sometimes, but it depended. Sometimes. It just kind of, yeah, it just, it just kind of depended on, you know, it, yeah, it, no, they are because it is so vast. I mean, if you could just picture just miles and miles and miles and miles of just grassland, you know, and that's just where it's all you can pretty much see to, on either sides of you. And yeah, sometimes they would be pretty far away, but I think the vastness of the Serengeti and the lodge we stayed at, um, it was a tented camp and there's really nothing better than laying in bed, go, listening to wildebeest and zebra and you hear hyena. Oh. It really felt like you were part of nature, you know? So oh it's, you know, it's a great experience to be able to see the Serengeti. I mean, that's like a, that's a bucket list for a lot of people. Yeah. 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 Good. Exactly. And, and like I said, had that maybe been the only place that I went to and didn't do other things, I might've been disappointed because like you said, it's so vast. Mm. It, the, the animals can sometimes be further away, but you know, I, we saw, we went, drove right around to the watering hole where they had hippos and we were literally up on this bank watching hippos for mm -hmm. about an hour and the babiest babiest of hippos was there and so the guide was pretty excited he's like i think that's the littlest baby <laughs> hippo that i've ever seen kiboko so, that's how they kiboko i think that's how they say <laughs> yeah i was like yeah so, yeah so and my our guide gosh i think he was probably in his 60s and he had been guiding for about 25 years. So oh he was, and he trained a lot of the other guides. So he was like the papa of, you know, the, the, the travel world and everybody knew him and respected him. So Caroline, and it was just Caroline and I, so we, wow. Yeah. In our vehicle. And he, he, that's what we paid for is to be shuttled around. And we, we scored with, with him, with his knowledge and, um, mm -hmm. caring, you know, he just, yeah, he was great. So. I, I listened to a great podcast. You should check it out. It's called the wildlife photography podcast. And okay. it's from wild. basically this group of guys, they are wildlife photographers who take clients around Africa and around the world. And they were talking about people like kind of the difference between, cause you could go online and you could get a really cheap safari, but you could end up with something like you could end up with the guy that doesn't know what's going on. You could end up like in a bad area. And it sounds like, I mean, they, what, what they kind of stressed was, listen, if you're going to Africa, you want this experience, pay a little more to get yeah. like exactly what you and you and Caroline did. Sound like you guys got a private yeah. tour. Hey, okay. Awesome. Exactly. Exactly. Really no. And you know, there were things that I wouldn't, you know, have had, like, okay, like our guide was very respectful of animal spacing, you know, not getting too close and not cutting in front of other people, but I could see how it could go bad fast. You know, you had, we had a group of uh, people come behind us that, you know, they were pushing their guide, the guests were pushing their guide. Oh no, no, go up ahead, go around, go around here and go do this, go do that. And it was like, oh my gosh, I felt so bad for that guide to have to have mm -hmm. people 
you know, trying to get the best shot and the best picture. And if they have to cut in front of people, it, it just, you know, you're going to have those experiences. So you just have to, I, we had a really great guide. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So did, did you see any, any kills while you were in the Serengeti? You did. We did. Yeah. And I know we, you and I briefly talked about Ngorogoro Crater. Yes. Ngorogoro. Yeah. I was actually going to go in there, but yeah, we could jump right in if that's where you saw a kill. Yeah. That's where we did. Okay. So when we left the Serengeti, we came back and then went back and dropped around um, and stayed at Ngorogoro Crater. So from the Serengeti, we went to the crater and um, that's when we dropped down into it. There was, I think we're only like the 40, 40th vehicle in because they give you numbers of I think they can only have like a couple hundred or like 400 vehicles are only mm -hmm. allowed which okay is crazy to think that that many vehicles in that small of ecosystem mm -hmm. so I kind of didn't like that I know you and I or you had mentioned a little bit of our experience but we had come across two lionesses with sets of cubs one set of cubs was probably a few months older and then another mother had um, littler cubs and so we got to sit there and just hang out and watch you know the cubs chew and play with the wildebeest even you know obviously dead and, and uh -huh. try to move it and tear it and play with its tail um, and then the one lioness took her cubs back into the high grasses and so you know how they they're really they're little and so they like follow her back into the high grasses where She's probably going to hide them for a little bit. And then, so uh, we, we watched them quite a bit and got, and they were literally right by the road. Oh so, man. So you just kind of had a Jimmy and wait and wait your turn to, to get a good chance to see them. See, I, I, I would like to go, I mean, to Angora girl, but I've read like reviews that some, like just the volume of traffic, it almost takes away from that. And yeah. is that something you would say you're shaking your head? So yes, I mean, too much. No, but again, I think the time of year we went, it wasn't like a huge trap, like a big peak for travelers, but I could absolutely see how it would definitely take away from your experiencing when you're being passed and you have to get in line and you're driving around and it's, you know, the crater is really, it's big, but it's not. You yeah. I, I'm actually, I, I have to look, I have to see how big it is. Cause I remember I found the stats one time and it shocked me and yeah. it was so small. And for those of you unfamiliar with Angoro girl, I mean, you could look at Nate, you know, national geographic documentaries. I'm sure that you've seen, but it's just the, the concentration of wildlife is just insane. But also the just from down there, the ecosystem, there was like a swampy area. So there was some okay. down there. There was some water buck down there. Okay. Elephants, um, they can get the you know, the crater has different sections of steepness and some is treed and some is not treed. But the elephants can actually make it up fairly steep terrain, so they can come in and out of the crater if they want to. There was some uh, rhino down there. We did get to see them. Okay. Um, lions, hyenas. Oh, um, I love hyenas. You know me. <laughs> and a group of flamingos. And so I, I was just, and then there was some grassier grassland at the one side. And it was just like a whole ecosystem within this crater. It was just 
phenomenal. And how, I mean, so it, it, so it says right here, I'm just trying to look at the, so it says, ooh, we're going to have to do kilometer stuff. I know, I, you know what, the, <laughs> if I trans, because when I was, we were going to talk about Robin Island, I went and I had my converter on my phone to do <laughs> kilometers because I don't, I can tell you guys. I okay okay good I got it I'm sorry I'm like sitting here like stumbling on Google I, trying I to listen to you. I on my phone if you need me to do the math. No no there. I I got it I got it. So it says that Ngoro um Ngorongoro yes a correct crater um a diameter of approximately 12 miles. Okay. And it covers so it is only 100 square miles which is actually not that big for yeah. for a wildlife oasis really. At all. And, and to have all the different pieces and parts of things for several different walks of life. It's, it's, a, it's a system, you know? It's yeah. Like, oh, we saw like the biggest bull elephant down there too. Oh, man. It's just, it was really, really cool. And again, we were lucky that there weren't hundreds and hundreds of cars down there, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but they are allotted a certain, they can, it can handle that many. And I'm just glad that. It was a yeah. That, and it, the, the funny thing was, is it was maybe 60, 65, but our room, it, it's kind of an older lodge, but a very fancy, fancy lodge. But we asked for a space heater because we were so <laughs> cold and here we are from, from Idaho and we have <laughs> snow, but Caroline and I were freezing. So we asked for a space heater for our room because they only had heat. Like they didn't, they didn't have it in a furnace that you, that, that you could heat your room with, you know, it was only like a little bit of time during the day. And then we could only shower, use the water like four hours, like when the pumps or the generators were working or whatever. Okay. So there were some regulations there, but oh, yeah, we were cold. We asked for a space heater. <laughs> a space here in Africa. Oh, well. yeah. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, so that whole experience and, and mind you really quick, I, I just want to say something. Cause I yeah. mean, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because I'm like complaining about the tourists and this and that. Cause that's what keeps a place like this alive. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying that there, cause I'm a, we're both tourists, but sometimes yeah. it does take out the, the wild when you have, 300 vehicles jamming down there. So, but I'm happy the place is protected that people still care. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that, because I didn't see my, um, didn't get to see cheetah in the Serengeti. I was hoping that I would probably maybe get to see cheetah in the crater. Okay. My guide, my guide had said that they, the cheetah had tried to make it in the crater. Um, mm. but they are pushed out by the larger predators. And so they mm. didn't end up, making it and staying in there they probably ventured back out so there went another park <laughs> where i wasn't going to see cheetah and the serengeti was my best bet. your best bet well i oh. bet i bet if you go to the mas amara i guarantee i would I bet you a tusker beer which are delicious yes. by the way <laughs> tusker. Like, stay here <laughs> you're gonna definitely see cheetah that's oh. awesome oh. so would so what was better, Ngorongoro or the Serengeti? Experience-wise, what if I only I had to choose one crater. place? The crater. The, oh, the crater. Okay. Yeah, because the crater, I mean, we got to see lionesses and the cubs, and we did see a lot of different birds, you know, the flamingos. Okay. Super mm -hmm. cool. Lots of crowned cranes. We saw 
quite a few of them. You know, we saw elephants, giraffes. I mean, we saw, but everything was close mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we're in the crater and we saw rhino, which was really cool. When you sign in at the lodge, they ask you, well, you can write down what you've seen or what, how was, you know, how was your safari? And so, you know, a lot of people would say, saw one rhino. Oh, we didn't see rhino. Oh, we saw one rhino. So it was just kind of fun to see the guests write, oh man, we didn't, or yes, we saw two. And so. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, so cool. Them. The rhino um, is so impressive. Wow. Yeah. So really quick, because you were in the Serengeti, and I know they're rare though. But did you did you see wild dog? No. Okay. No. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. Super rare. Yes, and I don't okay. think they're necessarily up in the Serengeti. Oh, did okay. Okay. But this other place that we went to, um, they're prevalent. So after that, where? Gosh, you've been to so many amazing places. You're just living proof that if you put your mind to it and you just, you know, save up. I mean, you're able save to up. just do these once in a lifetime experiences. Like I would way rather do what you have experienced than live in like a super nice fancy house yeah. with a swimming pool. Yeah. Material Not, things. I mean, yeah. it would, I mean, yeah, if you had an option, <laughs> Not, I, mean, I mean, not saying that Amy lives in a dump. I've never seen her house. <laughs> Amy's currently in it. <laughs> she lives in a tent. <laughs> hey, we call those yurts. Right. Okay. I live in a year. No. So no, but you know, I mean, yeah, I I would rather have memories and special see see things than necessarily own a bunch of frivolous yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's all about awesome. life and experiences. So. Awesome. Okay, where do you go next? Oh I think my gosh! I so I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but as we're traveling out of the Gorgor Crater, we're headed to Targrenir. Tagrenir. It's actually Tagrenir. No, I'm kidding. I have no, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's another, it's another um, national park. That's not, that's in Tanzania. So we head there and I guess they have, I'm trying to read my notes here because the astonishing thing with this place was there's more elephants in this national park than there is in like Tanzania. So they're really? all like concentrated in this park. So basically as we're driving through, they're just elephants everywhere. Oh, so, man that i mean i mean we saw a lot of elephants in this uh and the serengeti we did mm -hmm. we really did we saw larger groups but this um area was more had more trees there were more rivers it was greener plusher so i could see how the elephants you know thrived maybe more or was mm -hmm. be better terrain or whatever for them there and it's protected so um but it was a great little place we and the only thing that i would say with our group with our safari was you know it was three days here two days here two days here three days here two days there so you have to make sure to pick what you want and if you were okay to travel every couple of days and sometimes it did get a little at least mm -hmm. we weren't driving yeah you know, we yeah. were getting shuttled around. We were getting taken care of. And it was nice to go see different lodges and parts of the country. But, you know, you're in order to see all of the country, you needed to be able to be mobile, mm -hmm. be able to be ready every couple of days to pack up all your stuff and go. And go. And it sounds yeah. like, I mean, so if, if you could go back, I mean, to me, it sounds like, would you maybe 
not have picked that many options? Would you have stayed yeah. in place a little longer? Okay, that makes exactly, sense. Exactly, exactly. And like you said, if you you could do the the Mara and then go down and, and see, you know, the next thing would be um, to actually see the the, the migration. That yeah, would be a really amazing thing to go see is mm -hmm. is the wildebeest migration either going to the Masamara or coming back. Mm -hmm. So that mm -hmm. would be pretty pretty cool to see. Yeah. And really quick, I wanted to ask you this earlier in the Serengeti. So you were you aware prior to booking that the wildebeest were not going to be there or were you unaware? No, I was aware. They okay, said, good. Okay, um, good. she said, no, I think she said that they would, because I had asked, I said, well, where, where will the wildebeest typically be? She says, it will be kind of the tail end of the actual migration, but they'll still okay. be there. There'll still be some there. But we okay. missed that. Um, so I, I, I could have probably would have been better to go to the Masai Mara mm -hmm. and, and just book that instead. But mm -hmm. I, I thought I just it just worked out that the Serengeti. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason why I just I just wanted to bring that up is because uh, just so if you are planning a trip to Africa and you want to see the Great Migration, you know, make sure to go at, at a certain time of year. And so that's why I didn't know if, you know, that if you were aware yeah. or not, but still sounds yeah, like, yeah, yes. go ahead. And this Africa, um, go to Africa, uh, .com, uh, that we went through, they, they're very professional and they had very good knowledge as to, and that, and, you know, she actually did say, no, you should go ahead and go to the Serengeti. They're going to be at the, you know, they'll still be there. And she actually said, probably don't go to the Masai Mara because they might not be there yet. So, but you know, you, you can't, you know, what's a week? Yeah, you, know, you can't, can't predict. They, you know, the weather changes, you know, and this is, you know, four months in advance. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what happened last year might not happen this year exactly on. Yeah. So, no, they absolutely did. Um, if you if you said, I need to see the migration, what, what should I do? Where should I go? They, they definitely mm -hmm. should help you mm -hmm. with your trip. Mm -hmm. But like I said, but I, 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 my advice, don't go and just have high expectations. Like that's what I would tell my younger self going to Africa. Just go. Don't say I have to see a leopard. Just go and whatever happens will happen. Exactly. Because it never, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you got that right. Awesome. Okay. So where do your adventures take you? You've Serengeti and Goro Goro. Like it just. Uh, uh, oh, so then our last place we went to was a game reserve. Um, we actually took a little plane from Arusha, which is the main capital of Tanzania. So it was a bigger city and lots of people. Um, very, you know, kind of intimidating because you're you're sort of more out in the rural area and in game reserves. And then all of a sudden you're in a city and there's people and there's cows and there's people everywhere. Um, just a, a big city. So we had to take a, a smaller plane um, to Salu and it was about 13, 15 seater plane. Okay. Fly, fly into Salu. Um, it's kind of this, a little bit Southern part of Tanzania. And because it was a game reserve, the, uh, I noticed that the animals still to this day, and again, I don't have like dates, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you would have to look it up, but it's more recent than not that this was a game reserve. 
Mm -hmm. uh, I believe the, the who this is named after, uh, Salu, he, he was a hunter and then became one of those people who wanted to preserve wildlife. And again, I don't know the dates. Okay. So, so was this a reserve where hunters could hunt basically? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah. Cause I know that in Tanzania. Okay. So you actually interesting because Tanzania, so, it is legal to hunt. So okay. this had been, and this had, uh, I don't think it's legal now to hunt there, but it had been a game reserve. Oh. So I noticed that it's, and it's very, very wild. That's the only way I could explain it to you. It's not that the Serengeti didn't feel wild, but there were cars everywhere. There were other guests and tourists, and there wasn't a lot of people in Salu, and it was very spread out. The lodge we stayed at was phenomenal in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I know we show up on this little two, well, it was 13, but see, as the, as the, as we all we all seem to have different lodges. So the flight would go. It was like a couple hour flight, and then they drop some people off, and then it'd be like a fifteen minute flight to the next spot where there is a lodge where people were staying at. Then it'd be like a five minute up and down to this other place, another ten minute flight. So it was like ridiculous. But finally, it was our lodge. We were like stop number six. <laughs> and, and we get there. There's one little safari vehicle and there's one guy um with a rifle gun thing i don't know about guns but you know standing yeah. on the dirt runway waiting for us to land and he's out there just to make sure the baboons don't run onto the runway and it's like, <laughs> the babs so are they gonna shoot them they're like no 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 they just shoot in the air i'm like okay well, good. <laughs> yeah what a horrible it's like oh, wildlife no, experience yeah. like <laughs> Or you're playing, you hit a baboon or something. That would be horrible. So oh, no. Yeah. So yeah. So we flew into there, and um, again, we had one guide, with just Caroline and I for two days. But it was an open-aired safari vehicle. So there were a lot of flies, mm. especially once you got out into the bush. There was a lot of flies. It was a little warmer, um, and the animals there definitely weren't used to people being there. So mm. even your antelopes, um, your water buck, you know, all these normal wildebeest things you would normally see in the Serengeti that would just stand there and hang out and you could take all these pictures. No, these animals were going away. They heard or saw a safari vehicle. They didn't want to be there. God, so, that's so sad because hunting yeah. was prevalent. They just were, I mean, yeah. Serengeti, you're protected, you're habituated to... Yeah to these vehicles and then you just what you don't even go that far you fly to another little area and then you just have a complete different behavior that's really sad yep and the elephants we ran into a couple elephants and they charged oh the vehicle God. they yep. didn't have anything to do with us um we so we just backed out and just got out of there it was like oh my all God. these thoughts are racing through my head of you know what had this animal seen to to be to react like this and it was a you know a younger male and you know what what horrible possible things had he seen mm. why does he hate us so bad why he was charging and mock you know he was did not want us there so very that, interesting that's so disgusting i just i can't even and i've just i've read books too where elephants will remember 40 50 years ago they'll remember a one incident and they have this hatred toward i mean they'll they'll charge yeah. 
Wow. I just, and I'm shocked you actually saw an elephant, especially if this is a place. I mean, so, but, yeah. but, but you said recently that, that they stopped the hunting, but right. I mean, it, it wasn't that recent though. Like, I mean, a few years ago you could go and hunt. Wow. Yeah. And I don't know if it's 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20, 25 okay. years ago. Again, I didn't get, I don't have that data available, but really that isn't that long ago. No. You know, and, and the animals learn from their parents and, and I think on the outskirts of, uh, of uh, Salu that they, there is more poaching going on. Um, so they're always under some sort of threat kind of within that region. So it's, it's, and it was very, very, very wild and very remote. So wow, very, very different, completely different type of experience. And that's interesting. Did you even see any other tourists or was it just you and Caroline and your guide? I did see, we did run, and I don't know where they stayed. It was, again, we were at peak season, so there was a little bit less, but I think we saw like two other vehicles with maybe wow. just a couple people in them. So, I mean, when we're used to seeing 50 to 100 plus vehicles on a safari, two, two or three, and then it was very remote. Like this one had like this double snorkel vehicle, you know, and, and there were very, very steep terrain and down and up. And I was like, man, this, how did this guide ever learn how to drive? <laughs> you know, if I have a vehicle, I think of uh, a Range Rover or Land Rover uh -huh. vehicles. They can, they can go everywhere. Oh yeah. Through the water, everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, Oh my gosh, how do you guys do this? Please don't break down. Please don't break down. Wow. I mean, but I'm so happy you did that experience. I'm enjoying this almost just hearing about it because it's such a different contrast between tourists and a grown girl. And then you go to this remote place where you still have a wild Africa. I think I would like to experience something like that. It Not was, to see animals as much, but just to get the. Yeah. It was night and day. You, I don't see how you could not have noticed the vast difference of animal behavior. You know, it was, it was just really crazy. Okay. Did you see any predators in that park? And can you, can you actually say the name of that park one more time? I want to write it down. I'm just, oh, I've never okay. heard of the park. It's called Salu. It's S-E-L-O-U-S. I thought it was like Salus. Okay. But, but it's a French person. So they say Salut. Okay. It's like, Ooh, at the end. So, um, and it had been a game reserve. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And we awesome. stayed at the best lodge. It was, the people were so nice and it was so fancy. And I'm like, how did you guys build this fancy place all the way in the middle of nowhere? And it was <laughs> the nice thing about that lodge is that it was next to a big, huge river. And I don't know the name of the river. So the hippos were just there and you could hear them all night. Oh you know, man. And their hippo noises. I did do a riverboat cruise with um, Caroline didn't want to go, but we did take a boat, just a guide and I just up part of the river. Um, got some uh, different pictures and saw hippos. And you're like in this little pontoon boat and there's like oh. hippos porpoising next to you in the deeper water. And I'm just like, I, uh, hope, I, I hope this is okay. Cause 
Did it have a motor on it? Or are you in like yeah, this? Yeah, oh, good. Okay. Have... I'm picturing you in this wooden canoe type thing, like <laughs> in hippos going oh, everywhere. It a, crazy. It had a motor, but that, you know, I mean, we'd go fairly fast. And as soon as the hippos would see, see us or hear us, probably hear us more than anything, you know, they would get away, which is good. But still, they're like porpoising. Some of them kind of got close. And I'm just like, oh, I don't like this. But it's terrifying. I remember the first one in, in Lake Navasha and the water was brown and they would like porpoise yeah. out of the water and then go under. And then you just and see bubbles and you're just like. Or, yeah, yeah. And you're like, you have no idea. And I hope I don't hit him with my motor. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And the boat driver doesn't know either. So he's just going the random place. Oh my God. Yeah. But it was, but it was really cool too. Cause when we went out, cause we were on the more of the banks and um, lots of crocodiles. Okay. Different sizes of crocodiles. So my alley. That, that was really cool. And you know, the different birds, um, mm. the, the eagles that they have there and the storks. And we saw, oh, what are those? The red, the hornbills, the big hornbills. The oh my goodness. Ones, the giant um, ones. The, giant the southern ground hornbill? Yes. Oh. We saw several of them. And wow. Just, you know, on the ground, running around, doing their thing. And I was like, ah. Oh, it's so cool. We did see hyena okay. on a kill. Uh, buffalo. They were eating buffalo. We couldn't get around to the one side, so we only had kind of one view. Mm -hmm. um, but you could smell it before you could see it. You're oh, really? Like, oh, so, yeah. it, so it was really old, like a few days yeah, old? Yeah, and they were still just completely eating insides out. So Yeah, I've never seen a – I would like to see a fresh kill – um, I've only seen like when it's like if several days old, but when they're just chewing yeah. on bones and hide, I, I've, I haven't seen a stinky kill yet. Yeah. But you know, it <laughs> was enough where it, it, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. There, there was still stuff to be eaten, but it, you could, you know, once you open up the innards and stuff, it, you know, it just, it, you could smell it for a while and you're just like, oh my gosh, okay. There's got to be a kill here somewhere. And you see the, <laughs> then you see the vultures, right? They're a good yeah. indicator. And then, sure enough, there were hyena there eating. So, okay, so you had a fantastic time in Tanzania. Where do your travels take you? I think I know. I have it down on my list. Are we on to South Africa? So, the big safari in Tanzania was 2016. So, the one in Cape Town to work with the penguins was 2017. In, in June. Wow. So, about a what year. What a year. And yeah. for those of you who do not know Amy, because I know her because we're friends, we've been friends for several years, you're a huge penguin person. So I could only imagine your <laughs> like excitement seeing wild penguins. Um, absolutely. The organization that I had ran into or come across was called Earthwatch. And Earthwatch has it's a, a organization that has scientists around the world to help collect data on whatever species, you know, whatever things that they feel that they need to have research. And in order for the researchers to collect data, it helps to have volunteers and it also helps to fund their research. Okay. So Earthwatch, I pay Earthwatch, will say $3,000 and that money goes for my, uh, Two, it's it's a 12-day project, and it will pay for my uh, stay. It'll pay for my food while I'm there. 
it doesn't cover your airfare or doesn't cover like of course you want to get there say a day before or two days before the actual expedition mm -hmm. and you might want to stay a day or two after your expedition so it, it won't cover those costs but the two weeks you are with on the on the island that and it, it covers everything so wow and um, robin island is the name yeah so robin island sits right outside of cape town it's really not that far you take a ferry across to this island and robin island is also known people would probably recognize it more that's where nelson mandela was imprisoned oh okay yeah so that's the actual prison site so it's actually a tourist location because the prison's there so the ferries throughout the day will run back and forth across the island and there are some workers that actually still live on the island and there's only like a couple hundred people that are okayed or uh government you know it, it's because like their fathers or grandfathers worked as prison guards so there's only certain families that can actually are legally can live on the island so it's like but penguins in prison i know isn't that crazy so some of the kids you know and a lot of the families they'll go to cape town for the day the kids will go to school and they'll mm -hmm. take the ferry back home so i think that's kind of cool unless you get seasick like i did so that's not <laughs> cool but, but besides that i think if you did it every day you probably wouldn't have a problem so wow but yeah so robin island sits off and i got my little statistics here it's about three miles in length and it's also a couple miles wide okay and it's, it's not big at all the island is not big and just sort of in the middle of it is where you have some resident housing and then of course you have your prison and they run tours throughout the day as long as weather permits so if it is the seas are too high, the wind is too high, they can't get the ferries across, then mm -hmm. they can't run the ferries. Mm -hmm. So when I, so going back home, we had to, we actually had to leave a day early to come back to the island because the fact the seas were too high. So our ex exhibition was, you know, was a day short, but you know, we needed to get, I needed a flight to catch, you know, I needed, mm -hmm you know, to get, to get back to the island, I need I, to, to Cape Town. So little things like that, little technical things on how to get to the island and how the island works. But there's only a couple hundred people that actually live. And so they have a research house. Earthwatch actually has a house there and, you know, it's kitchen and everybody um, helps cook and clean and you know, there's a couple different bedrooms that you could stay in, a couple different beds in each room. So, yeah. But, but you're there for the penguins. I mean, what was your first experience seeing wild African penguins? <laughs> We're driving to the research house and there's like penguins crossing up ahead. And I was like, okay, this, this does not <laughs> feel right. This is not right. They're out. They're out. <laughs> no, no. And so I have a picture of like, and they do, they're like a deer in a headlight. Uh -huh. they'll just stop. And you're like, no, no, just, just go get, get, just go. Or, or, you know how birds are, 
they'll they'll go one way and they'll go back and oh they'll go one way and then they go back like they just don't know which direction to go you just just make a decision and go for it and we just drive real slow you know but that's so weird because i'm envisioning that they only stay like along the shore but i didn't realize they were crossing roads yep it, yeah like i said the, the island is pretty small there's one uh main road there's a rockier part of the island and then there's kind of a beachier part of the island so mm -hmm. they kind of have regions they kind of have the islands split up in different regions and um some it, it just yeah it just depends on where they where they nest but yeah wow. they're all over that's and you know the sad thing is like so i did i just some research so i teamed up with the aza um for their safe program i was their spokesperson for 2016 and one of their animals was the african penguin and so i did you know i you know i, I did all my research and figured out my facts and i think there were like a little over a, like a hundred thousand or so in 2016. fast forward to 2017 I'm, I'm working with the penguin on the today show and i go back to my old penguin facts and then I find that the numbers from 16 to 17 have significantly dropped to like 70,000. Like I was shocked. So why are penguins disappearing? Well, what, from what research we have from Robin Island is, you know, the, the fact that there are possible possibilities of uh, uh, oil spills. So that happened, I think, in the 90s and 2000s. That didn't help the decline mm -hmm. of that. But most from what they have found is fishing. Okay, uh, overfishing. People fishing, people overfishing because the, the birds have that instinct to nest in the same place every year. Okay. And if, if those areas within that are being overfished, then the birds have to swim out further and then come back to feed their chicks. So they're, they're expending so much more energy to go find fish and food. So the researchers have it set up for the government where they they're doing research on three years of fishing and three years of not fishing. And so right now, last year, they couldn't fish within these regions. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this year and next year, the fishing they can't have within these certain regions. But the main scientist, Richard, had also told me that They've also noticed with, I'm going to say the word, climate change, global, you know. Global it's happening. <laughs> it is changing. The, the water temperatures have changed. And so the sardines and the anchovies like a certain temperature that they thrive more probably what they eat. So they have pushed out back and over further from Robin Island. So now the birds have to swim further out. And one of the interesting things that I got to participate in is, is these devices. I don't know if you've heard of their loggers. Okay. A logging device. It's, it's a GPS. It's not like a radio collar, like when you can radio track lions or cheetahs or whatever in the wild, but it's an actual, it logs data. But you got to get it on the bird first. Uh-huh. <laughs> of know, course. Right? To, to collect data. So... They have come up with a way that they noticed that the parents both share re parenting responsibilities. Okay. At a, mostly at a certain age, because when the babies when they hatch, 
they're, they're a P, what they call is a P0, so that's a, a stage. Their eyes aren't open, they can't thermoregulate. So one parent definitely needs to be on the chick and the nest to help protect that chick. Okay. And then the other parent will go feed for, you know, it could be 12 hours, 24 hours, come back, switch off. We noticed that it wasn't, you know, they didn't go for days and days and days. They didn't leave um, for that long, but it could be a good 24 to 36 hours, depending on where they find food. So they pick birds that have chicks at certain stages. So they could actually attract, attach this device to them. Okay. So mm -hmm. this device, they go ahead and grab the bird. They actually uh, fold the feathers. They actually uh, part the feathers and then they adhere. And I have a really great, I can send you this blog that's got some really great pictures that describe to see how this process is. But they of want course. to keep it very, very minimal, hands-on. They have all their tape, uh, waterproof tape cut up in strips and they have everything set out. So when they grab the bird, they only need one person to hold the bird and then somebody to, to adhere and tape the logger and they part their feathers into different parts. They can stick the tape in, put the logger in, fold the tape over it, and then it's attached to their back. And then it will start logging data once they hit the ocean and it, it, it distinguishes pressure changes and depth changes and distance. And then once they rec um, collect this logger, hopefully if the bird comes back, most likely, it will, but there's been a few times where I don't think the loggers come back um, or it's been several days longer. Oh. And then they thought that because sometimes in the birds, it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's dead or it's deceased. Mm. It could be it could have somehow been traumatized and nervous and maybe it's coming back at night. And okay. then going to feed, you know, and playing its game with us. So you never know. But don't you have like a, I mean, you have predators, you have great whites, you also have yeah. fur seals. I mean, don't fur seals yeah. go after them too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that is, yeah, that is a possibility. But, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times it is that they're just swimming further for fish and it just takes longer. Or again, they're coming back at night. But we once we collect that data, once we get the logger back, um, we can, they can analyze the data. And then it actually has, it's so cool because it, it'll, it'll map you can imagine like a gps map and then you'll see the island and then they have it logged where 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 the pig you know, some go up and around a zigzag zigzag you know and up and around and down and, and and then once you have say seven eight birds and they're all you can do different colors and you can just see all the different where all the different birds had gone to get fish oh, and so yeah it's extremely Wow, how exciting to be a, just to be a part of that. I mean, that, that data is so it's invaluable. I mean, it's just, yeah. and, and it's still going on. Like you said, I mean, that's yeah. just what an exciting yeah, project. They've been doing this, um, had it written down for quite a number of years. So they're collecting a lot of good data, but the penguins have definitely decreased, you know, because of probably overfishing. Mm -hmm. So they're really hoping that, um, you know, that that can change and that will help help them. But then again, now you have got global warming and the temperatures changing and the sardine and stuff are out further. The anchovies are out further for them to get. So we did see a couple nests that were abandoned 
and they have this bird re, uh, rehab place that's on the main island, uh, Sand Cob. And I don't know the whole abbreviation of, but it, it spells Sand Cob. Mm -hmm. And so they can, um, Bob, we can box up chicks and then put them on the ferry and then tell the people, uh, you know, Sand Cob that we're spending some chicks and then they can rehabilitate them and feed them and then we hopefully re-release them. So it, there, there's one other thing that I was going to tell you about. So part of being um, the Earth Watch volunteer, so I think there were, there was a group of us of six. So we would split up in teams, three and three. We have one researcher. What was really cool is Richard um, Shirley and his wife, Lucy, she's actually a vet. So she came on the on this expedition with us as part of the group. And since she's a licensed vet, she was cleared to actually we put um, microchips in the birds, okay. right? Uh -huh. so, so I don't know how to explain this without completely boring everybody. But basically, we go on certain sections of the island, and every week, they check these nests. And there's a, it's basically a scavenger hunt. They have a list. It has information on this list. They give you a description of where the nest is, which are, there's bushes all over the island. There's rock crevices. There's all kinds. So you've got to... It gives you a description. Okay, it's to the left of that log next to this bush that's facing southeast. And then they give you GPS coordinates. And once you sort of, they have like these, uh, it's like a plasticky sort of tape stuff that they write the actual nest number on and then adhere it to the bush near the nest so you can see it. So then you look on your paperwork. Okay, nest, say one. And then, okay, well, who should we, and then it's listed the last thing that they saw. Okay, there, there was one bird on the nest and there were two eggs. Okay, all right, I see the bird. So we have um, a, a, broom, a broomstick, but without the broom. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of slide it underneath the bird and kind of lift them up a little bit. And then just to see, okay, are there still two eggs there? Is there one chick? Are there two chicks? And so every week they check these nests. The birds are so used to the people being there every week that they're not nervous. They're not, they're acclimated okay with that. But what they have found at other spots that they don't go to regularly, that the birds are more nervous, um, the chicks, it, it just, it's the data proves better to go ahead and see these guys every day. They get acclimated and it's less stressful. And they're not going to abandon their eggs or they're not going to abandon their chicks because, oh, they just come by for a few minutes. They lift me up. Okay. Okay, cool. But they also, we also have the wand that's got the transmitter. So you try to scan and see if, if the adults have been microchipped. Okay. So, and if they do, then, then that number is logged. And if they don't, that's fine. But what we try to do is with, I went with Lucy was if their chicks are at a certain age, we call like a P3 or a P4, which they're quite larger. They sit next to the parents. They're sitting up. They've got their plume, their, their gray little fluff on them still, but they're sitting up and they're too large to lay under their parents. We want to grab them, weigh them, measure their beak, uh, measure their beak to their head, 
and we put the string kind of around and then weigh them and kind of hang them so they it looks sort of like it's under their wings and you kind of dangle them from the air and then you get their measurement so it looks sort of like they're flying for a second it's kind of like <laughs> i can send you a video because oh yeah definitely of was starting to spin i was like oh i don't like this here stop stop and of course they're not happy to be grabbed and you have to watch your hands but i was i wasn't nervous because i had handled i've had experience with that so mm -hmm. i wasn't nervous and i was able to wrangle help lucy wrangle these penguins and then she was putting in um microchips in the chicks and there's like this flap of skin on the on the legs in between the actual body and the legs that that's a good spot to put that um and they i think they did the left side they always do the left the left leg and then you can just transpond it and then they have you know that we ha we have a re record of who that is and you know, mm. that type of thing so wow so that was really fun it was like you use a broomstick every time you leave the house you need your broomstick <laughs> and your and your um wand so that you can you know see if there if there is a, a microchip in them wow um, what just an incredible experience and along with this podcast i'll make sure to share some photos and i'm, I'm sure you have so many it's probably hard hard to sift through them but do you have any other future plans of travel anywhere else in the world you plan to go well would you believe me if i told you i'm going to go back to do penguins in may and six are months? you oh my god i thought i saw that oh my gosh yes. i'm gonna go i've i met this really really cool girl um she's super super nice she um and she's 24 so i call her my daughter uh-huh because she's 24 and i'm like when i first met her i she's from france so she's she speaks french and uh -huh. she's working on her phd with working with king penguins and elephant seals but she's also doing research on african penguins and she's going to go back in may and she's going to lead the research team in may and she's just she's just a super fun fun person and very knowledgeable and then if i can help her collect data to help her PhD and just, you know, I've had experience now, so, and, and I can go. So I was like, oh, sure, I'll go. But next year, the following year, I want to go to help do lions, do research on lions in Kenya. So. Oh my gosh, you have so much planned. Do you promise to come on back when you go back? When, you know, whatever, after your penguin whatever, Anytime. Yep. Anytime. Awesome. So yeah, I will go in May and that'll be right at the peak uh, chick season. So it'll be nice. I last time I went in June and it was like half and half little chicks and then bigger chicks. So I'm, there might be more eggs this time. I don't know. I'd just be curious to see what, what a month difference could be. And the only thing I didn't like about my experience was the food. Oh, not good. <laughs> I don't, we ate a lot of, I mean, okay. Ostrich meat is not that bad. Oh, I can't. I haven't eaten you Napoleon. Oh, I couldn't do it. I know. I couldn't it, do it. It's not. So we had ground ostrich. We had ostrich sausage. We had ostrich steaks. They, oh. And I like vegetables, but I don't like vegetables like in my lasagna. In my ostrich lasagna. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, carrots don't belong in, in lasagna. Just I'm just, I'm a really picky person. 
Well, it was good because I lost a little bit of weight when I went. So that's well, and I definitely need to go. I am <laughs> because, because I was just like, I don't even want to deal with dinner. Do we have to do? Because breakfast you could do on your own. Oh, like, breakfast is easy. Breakfast, yes. you, you just don't eggs, eat the sausages and you're good. Yeah. I had you know eggs or oatmeal or you know uh, they did eat. We did boil up a bunch of normal hard chicken eggs. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, hard boiled eggs. So sometimes you have that for lunch, or you had cold cuts for lunch and stuff. But then when dinner came around, I was like, "Oh, I don't even want to deal with this. <laughs> what are you doing?" I don't know. I I would probably everyone break down. Everyone else loved it. Everyone else scarfed it down. Oh. And, it, and it wasn't. It's not that it was bad. It's just I am picky. Yeah, and you know, and I and I want to say because I know there's people around the world who think when we eat cows, that's disgusting. And I think, and I'm not saying it's gross eating ostrich. I know they're farmed for that, and that's yeah. they, they do it sustainably. I I get it, but like just the visual, and even having an emu like the ratite in the same order, yeah. like I just, the family, I just can't. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. On that note, uh, I hope you, <laughs> this was a fantastic podcast. Amy, thank you so much for coming on. You've uh, just for kind of going over all these experiences. We really appreciate it. And I cannot wait uh, to post some of your pictures. And I hope for those listeners that this was inspiring. Listen to Amy and how you can do what she's done and just travel the world and you're still going. I'm yeah, I'm, I better before I get older and older and older and older. So I got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old. You know there was still a lot of people out there on safari in their late 60s. And I was like, I hope that's me. So don't <laughs> age is not a factor. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the animals to the max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.